Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Adventures. Vic's on the line. What's up, fella? Or at least I think he's here. Let me unmute his ass. Then he can talk. What's up, man? Unmute me, O. Fuck you, O. What's up? How you doing? I'm I'm good, man. Trying to figure out what's going on in my my city and my state. You see me? Yeah, man. We could do a whole fucking couple weeks, couldn't we? Yeah, I might I might talk about that. What's got in my gear later? It's crazy. And, uh, yeah, um, it's one of those things that's just, I don't know, man. It, it's, it's something that is... History, kind of like Manson murders, the Manson family murders, uh, you know, things of that nature. Hey, you sound like you're underwater. How you tell the difference between a cult and a religion? Well, you know, about a hundred years is the difference. Nick, can you hear me? Not really. You sound like you're underwater. I'm just not. Anyway, I guess we'll get back to shit here. Um, and hopefully Blake will call in shortly. But anyway, yeah, um, we are coming up on the 26-year anniversary of uh, the um, the Waco siege. And again, took place 26 years ago uh, in two days. We're recording this on February 26, 2019. Um, the the actual last day of the siege, I believe, was uh, February 28, 1993. But let's talk a little bit about David Koresh. He was born as Vernon Wayne Howell on um, August... 17, 1959, in Houston, Texas, to a 14-year-old single mother, Bonnie Sue Clark, and that is a Texas name if I've ever heard one, and his father, Bobby Wayne Howe. Vic, are you there? Yeah, yeah. You went quiet. What happened, man? Uh, I said, I couldn't hear you. You were, like, trapped underwater, and I was just chilling. Great. Yeah, I said, I can hear you now. You're fine now. I don't know what the fuck happened. Anyway, um, sound like you're yeah, uh, There's Blake. What's up, Blake? Hey guys, I'm so sorry about that. For whatever reason, it kept kicking me off the line. Like I dialed and then it wouldn't ring, and then I dialed and dialed the wrong show ID or one digit off for whatever reason. I don't know what's going on. Just technical technical difficulties at best. ID ten here. What's that? 
an ID 10 T error. Okay. Uh, idiot spelled out, buddy. Oh well, okay. I'm, look, I've had a long day. Okay, <laughs> I've had a long. I've got convention appearances. I've been booking all day, and I'm just I'm you have. I'm, yeah, I've been really, really busy. So I'm glad to be able to have a little bit of fun with you guys tonight. Of course, I told them at the convention I was like, I'm going to be on with a couple of loud mouth child mouth drunks. So as long as it's okay with you guys, I'm going to push the show. Just don't pay, you know, just try not to take any of it personally. So. <laughs> well, we'll try to, uh, I don't know that we can behave ourselves, but we'll see what we can well, do. Well, I would appreciate um, if we behave ourselves a little bit. I mean, they know what the subject is tonight. I told them I was going to be talking about David Crash and the Waco Siege, so I'm going to try to keep it keep it uh, you know as clean as possible because you know I just this this is a weird one. This is not one I'd ever thought you guys would ask me to do. It's a little disturbing in a lot of ways, you know, mm-hmm. especially the mishandling of things and the way that there's just a lot of questions that probably still unanswered to this day, and I think that's what makes this so you know intriguing to a lot of people. Oh yeah, indeed. Well, okay. Before I get further into Koresh's background and or Koresh, as they like to say, apparently that's like the traditional pronunciation of it. But he's Koresh to me. Um, I'll go with the elder statesman of the group, Vic. Vic's the oldest one of us. Sorry, Vic. Uh, I didn't give your age. I'll just say you're the oldest. Um, Vic, what do you remember? about 1993 when this shit was going on. Because it, it's one of those things like Dahmer and Bundy and Gacy where I remember at least some of it, and I'll talk about that briefly, but or, or shortly after Vic, and, uh, Vic gets his thoughts in. But, yeah, man, you're the oldest. You might remember it better than us. Like, I remember, like, as it was happening, I remember seeing, like, all the news footage. Um, but I, I don't remember, like, a, a lot of the details about it. I don't know if I was too busy doing other things in my life. But, I mean, I, I was 13, so I was, uh, you know, trying to do other things, obviously. But uh, I, I do remember uh, sitting at home watching the uh, the news footage about it with my mom and my brother. And, like, and, like I, talking about it at school and whatever, like, I just remember... The whole thing being so surreal to me. And then yeah, it started um, popping up in one rap song from 93 and 94. They all talked about it like they were cool. But that's a different story. It, it, the whole thing's weird um, because – and I'm – okay, so I'm the, the middle child here. <laughs> I'm the middle child of Drunken Horror Adventures. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll tell you, Vic – I remember specifically Waco being like a notorious thing when I was a kid, but I didn't know anything about it. I had no idea what happened. Um, just couldn't understand, you know, the magnitude of what had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I know as I got older, I started hearing the name David Koresh. Never really um, understood that it was, you know, connected to Waco until I got even older. So at the time, you know, Waco, the name itself. It meant something to me, but not so much. I didn't understand what it meant, you know? So I had no idea what happened. It was um, a big deal at the time, but this wasn't like the Menendez brothers where I had some knowledge of it or, you know, Tanya Harding. Shit, I knew more about that than the other things. Or OJ or, you know, a lot of the things that were going on then. I don't know if it was just because I didn't ask enough questions or they weren't 
forthcoming enough on the types of news programs that I would see at the age of 11, you know. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean. Like I said, I, I remember seeing news about it. I remember talking about it in school or whatever, but, I mean, as far as, like, details about it, I don't, I don't remember much. <clears throat> you just remember the name? Do you remember the name Koresh at all from the time? I do not. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize Koresh was involved until later as well, like you so I don't know. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Is he doing a big thing in the news or what? Yeah, I mean, now here we are 26 years later, and he is, you know, as, I mean, not as infamous as Manson, but he's got to be up there with Jim Jones as far as, you know, whenever you see cult programs, guess who's always on there? You see Koresh. So, I mean, obviously he's one I would of have the, to second that. He's, he's definitely right up there with Charlie Manson and Marshall Applewhite for sure. So See, I think he's more well known than Marshall Applewhite too. I think he's yeah, more but I well think known than Marshall. We all are pretty close in age, so we all kind of remember those same things. I'm the youngest of this trio tonight, but I mean, not yeah. by that much. So I mean, I definitely remember hearing it in the news. And I definitely remember Heaven's Gate, but you didn't. Again, Crash. I knew the name, but mostly I knew Waco. Just Waco. It's almost like the OK for Hour Tombstone. It's kind of just Waco. You just hear it, and it's synonymous with something awful that happened, you know. I mean, think about it. Like, most places or most crimes aren't known by their location or, you know, what's happened there. Like, when you think about it, Jonestown, they created that themselves. So it wasn't like people remember exactly where Jonestown was. People don't remember. I mean, people know it was California, but people don't know where the Manson murders took place. Um, they, you know, they could say Hollywood. That's easy enough. But I mean, in specifics, Waco, like, is known for this and pretty much nothing else as far as I know. I know there was some and new movie named Waco in, like, 67. Pretty terrible, terrible, I would think. That, guys, to be known for something, a slaughter, a bloodbath. Uh, how, 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 you know, think about what it's done to that town, what it's done to that place. I mean, not only the loss of life, but that town will always be known for that. I mean, here we are, like you said, yeah. 26 years later, and people know it. It's just as strong, the feelings and emotions towards those events now as they were 26 years ago. And I think that speaks volumes about what it did to the American conscience and what it did to people, because for whatever reason, we've always had a real problem with uh, cults in one form or another, cult leaders, cult ideals, this idea of having, you know, a leader that will lead us into out of temptation and what appears to be into complete and total doom uh, is, is how it would appear because I don't think I've ever heard of one of these things coming out well. Uh, like, you know, nine people survived Waco. Nine of the, the video. I mean, that's not... <laughs> uh, that, that, that's just this craziness. I mean, to think about it, just to think about everything like that is nuts. But America has a real problem with cults. And cult, you know, you know, uh, organizations like that. I, I made this accurate joke before you came on the air, and I, I don't know that Vic heard it because he was having problems hearing it. Not sure if it's his end or my end. Blake, do you know what the difference between a cult and a religion are? I know I'm gonna I'm gonna regret asking, but what? No, no, it's not like that. Okay, it's not that type of joke. About a hundred years. That's the <laughs> difference between a religion and a cult. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, if the Branch Davidians were over 100 years old, 
Um, and maybe they are, shit. I don't think they are. But if they were, then it would be viewed as a legitimate religion. But since it's, like, new, people view it as a cult. And really, that's about it. They're all the same, you know? And and I'm not anti-religion. I'm just saying that if you look at their core principles, what's the difference, really? Again, I, mean, I, can, I can't argue with the point about the, the, you know, the idea itself, you know, that there's a tie between religion and cult, uh, though not necessarily, it's not that necessarily that, that way for everyone. I mean, I grew up, obviously you guys know how I grew up, so I kind of had a very skewed version of religion anyway, uh, because, you know, it was, let's go to church and then let's go back to, you know, hurting our children and doing everything we do at home and then go back to church and then... Baptist, 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 you know, Southern Baptist, this, that, and the other, and then I just, I grew, because of that, I kind of I kind of had to wait till I was older to kind of really understand my own belief in religion and what it meant to me, because what, what they tried to have me believe as a child surely wasn't the right, you know, the right thing. Uh, but as you were saying, it's not that old. Um, the Branch Davidians, we're talking, I mean, I did some, you know, reading on it today, uh, 1930s, and it was started by a disgruntled member of a church, Seventh-day Adventist church. The 1930s, that's fairly new. You know, that's a fairly new, this isn't like the Christian, you know, like this isn't going back, in, you know, 3,000 years or however long. So that's, that's really, really, you know, recent. Seems to yeah, be and the Branch Davidians were just a splinter from that. So, yeah, definitely. Things have been marred by tragedy, though. You know, everything that I've read about uh, the Branch Davidians, it seems to be nothing but tragedy uh, from beginning to, well, I don't know that there ever was really an end. I mean, just from the beginning of it in the 30s until those nine people managed to escape the fiery death that they were certain to have had in Waco, I don't know how they managed to escape, but they did. So I guess from the 1930s till that point, you know, that's what it was. Well, Branch Davidians are still around today, so there's that for you. Um, but, okay, so I was getting into his parents, but, you know, Apple doesn't far, fall far from the tree because before uh, Koresh was born, his dad, again, Bobby Wayne Howe, and again, his name was Vernon Wayne Howe, in case anybody missed that at the start, before he later changed his name. But anyway, before he was born, his dad actually met another teenage girl and abandoned Bonnie Sue, his mom. So Bonnie Sue was having... Um, Koresh at age, what, 14? And this and this dad, he ditches her for another teenage girl. And, you know, Koresh never actually got to meet his dad. And his mother became began cohabiting with a violent alcoholic. Sound familiar, Blake? Yeah, it does. It's very autobiographical in nature to me, and then also very reminiscent of a lot of the serial killers we discussed where things start out that way. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. Is, this isn't one of those situations where we're like, how did he become this way? It seems kind of obvious how he became this way. It's just that, you know, things spiraled out of control, like with a lot of these guys. So, uh, in 1963, uh, Koresh's mother left her boyfriend and placed her four-year-old son in the care of his of his maternal grandmother, uh, Erline Clark. And uh, his mom returned when he was seven after her marriage to a carpenter named Roy Haldeman. And I thought it was kind of funny, the carpenter aspect, just because, you know, Koresh would later claim that he's the messiah. 
You know what I mean? Uh, just a weird little thing there. And Koresh later was a carpenter, correct? What's that? Koresh was later like an independent carpenter, correct? Uh, I don't know that he, I, I don't know if that's truly what he was. I mean, it, it was it was like you said, Messiah, because you know Jesus Christ was a carpenter, so it would fit with that that belief. You know, to add to that mystique, because you know Koresh was a. Uh, you know, convinced himself and convinced others that, you know, God talked to him and told him to change his name to David Crash and told him to go through with all this. So that would that would make sense in the context of what we're talking about. Yeah. Well, Crash kind of described his childhood as lonely, and uh, he didn't really do well in school. And the reason for that is he was dyslexic. Uh, he got put in special special education classes, and he had a couple of nicknames. Fellows, do you have any ideas what his nicknames were? One was Vernie. Do you need the the more well known one, more offensive one? Retard. You're close, Vic. You're, you're close. Yeah, they called him Mr. Retardo. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, when you think of Koresh, you'll think of Mr. Retardo. And, Blake, before anybody gets offended, I didn't come up with that. It was his schoolmates. That tells you the type of assholes kids really I, are, though. I believe it was the schoolmates. I mean, it would also fit in with that that uh, kind of profile that we seem to run into with the serial killers. Home life is really, really weird and jacked up and just, you know, per, you know, just really precarious relationships. And then school isn't any better. So you get bullied at home, bullied at school, and people wonder how much of nature versus nurture influences the actions of these people. I am not glorifying hurting anybody, but it seems to be a common thread shared amongst most of the serial killers we've discussed on this show. There's something wrong at home, and there's certainly something wrong in public, you know, at the school or wherever other institution they're at. So. You know, I have to tell you, I think this is like as, as much of a debate as what makes somebody gay. And I'm not being funny here. I'm serious. Um, you know, because it used to be the nature or, it, you know, it was environment or born that way about gay people. Did they become that way? Were they born that way? I mean, I still feel like it's as um, different as some of these serial killers or people with this type of background. Some people, they are like, end up being that way because of their life, what's happened in their life. Then there's other people that are just born that way. And no matter what kind of quote-unquote manly things you get them to do, they're still that way. You can't break them of that. There's no, you know what I mean? So I feel like uh, this type of mentality, and again, I'm not comparing it and saying that either one, you know, that being gay is evil. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that some things are bred in you and other things you're born with. Yeah, that makes sense. True story. Um, and it's interesting to me, too, because, again, if there was a little change in his life, would it have made a difference? I don't know. Um, I think there's a change in his life that would have made a difference if he had made it in his music career, just like Manson. This is where I see their parallel. Both of them were, like, wanting to be musicians, and because neither one of them really succeeded at that, they really chose a different fucking path, you know? I wonder if Jim Jones yeah. was into music. I wonder who? I know he was in Jim Jones. I know he was into selling monkeys to people. 
door to door. No, it is weird because you know I see the the music thing. Having been in the business and retired, I can see the allure of it. But it's like, would that have really made a difference? Because you're trading in what one would perceive as you know regular sort of average life in for that. Temptation would still be there. Trust me. After having been on the road for five years and cut all these records and, and been on the radio and seen what the inner machinations of the music industry are like, there are plenty of temptations, plenty of ways for you to veer off that the, the straight and narrow and go onto the, the you know the, the wide road that everybody travels down because you know it's easy to get down. So it's like I don't know if it would have made a difference. You would say you would hope ideally that something like that would have made a difference. But then you just don't know. We could speculate all we want to, and that's another one of the things about this. I mean, we could speculate till you know, morning, but we'll never know. And I guess that's part of what makes it so alluring to us is because we just don't. It's the idea of knowing, maybe, uh, or thinking, being positive, or hoping that maybe something like that could have changed somebody, but then you don't know. That's like saying maybe Albert Fish wouldn't have been like he was if he would have had a different upbringing or a different career path. We don't know. We just know what he was in the current one that he had, you know. Just exactly. Open. And let's be honest. I mean, there are people who come back, come up from bad backgrounds, Blake, you know how that is, and they don't do shit like this. So really, at the end of the day, it's still a choice, you know. Well, thank you. I, I, I guess that I should take that somewhat as a compliment, even though you guys are asking and give me so much trouble all the time. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Just because you have a background that's like that doesn't mean that that's the doesn't mean that you're going to end up going down that same path. In that case, nature versus nurture doesn't doesn't apply on that level. So, again, it's just speculation. I mean, you could speculate, like we said, till morning. You just don't know. But it's just something something about this, and I think part of it is the kids, um, which I'm sure we'll get into later. You and our parents, Travis. We uh. We, we feel Vic probably is, too. He just doesn't claim them. Huh? I said Vic probably is, too. He just doesn't claim them. That's... Okay. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it just... It's, <laughs> you just don't, I, I just, it, it struck me on a completely different level, especially when I read about what was supposed to have been happening inside the Waco compound versus what was said later... It's like, you know, well, I don't want to give too much of it away for the listeners, but let's just say this isn't as cut and dry as people might think it is, or it doesn't seem to be. Well, I don't think we'll ever know the truth 100%. I know that fault has been placed on on both sides of the fence, but um, we won't ever know the middle fence, the middle side, you know, the person in the middle who got to see everything and know. We won't get to hear that. But for me, we'll, we'll editorialize yeah. at the end for sure and give our opinions. What's that? I said we'll editorialize at the end and give our opinions on what you know what happened and what we think of it, that type of thing. I'm just yeah, trying to yeah, give whatever facts we can until then. So it's just you know one of those things where it's like I don't know. At the end of the day, you, you, we may never know. But such is life. We've done Zodiac. We've done things like that. So we got to roll with what we have. Um, but. A good old Mr. Retardo, he dropped out of Garland High School in his junior year. He, when he was 22 years old, he had an illegal sexual relationship with a 15-year-old girl who became pregnant. Now, 
I assume it was illegal because her parents didn't consent. Because in Texas, the legal the legal age of consent with parents' consent is four, was fourteen all the way up until like a couple years ago. So that's what I think. I think they didn't approve. He got her pregnant. He was like, ah, shit. So uh, he was also he had a side chick too. So this fella he was spreading his seed all around, which is uh, it came it became pretty common for him. I have to say. Um, Around this time, he decided, okay, well, it's time to be a born-again Christian in the, Blake mentioned it earlier, Southern Baptist Church. And he joined his mom's church, the uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, that's where he became infatuated with the, the pastor's daughter. Big mistake there. Can you fucking imagine? Like, of all the girls to go after, aside from somebody who could just kick the shit out of you, that's got to be, like, the worst possible, chi- you know, person's kid that you could go after, other than maybe a cop. Fuck that. Horrible, especially if you're in the church. Um, so anyway, so supposedly while he's praying for guidance, he opened his eyes and allegedly found the Bible open at Isaiah 34:16, which stated that none should want for her mate. And then he convinced he was convinced this was a sign from God. So he approached the pastor and told him that God wanted him to have his daughter for a wife. I'm sure, this went over really, really well. I'm not sure how old the daughter was. Uh, Blake, any idea? I know I had heard it before, but I'm not sure now. Maybe she was like 14. The daughter? Yeah. I don't know, to be honest. I can't remember either. It may never have been mentioned. There's a whole lot of like 14 and 15-year-olds mentioned, so uh, it's easy to get them thrown, uh, you know, confused. But the pastor threw him out, and when he continued to persist with his pursuit of the daughter, he was expelled from the congregation. Not the best way to stay in a congregation, I have to assume. So, 1982, the year of my birth, he moved to Waco, Texas, where he joined the Branch Davidians. And uh, and they shouldn't be confused with the original Davidian Seventh-day Adventist group. Um, they're actually an offshoot. Uh, the original um, person who... Well, okay, Benjamin Rode, who died in 1978, originated the Branch group in 1955, with new teachings that weren't connected with the original Davidians. So, yeah, uh, it's just a little bit different, but, I, you know, all folks are the same to me. Caress played guitar and sang in church services at Mount Carmel Center. Um, His band played a few times at clubs in Waco. And former members such as David Thibodeau, uh, who, by the way, is like in every single documentary about Waco. Big fat guy. Like, he's in every single documentary. He wrote a book about it. I personally think a lot of things he says are full of shit, but on the other hand, you do get the uh, accounts of being in, you know, in in the cult. So uh, he wrote that he was recruited. They were recruited through music. Anyway, Koresh also tried to pursue his own record company, but he wasn't successful due to lack of funds and support. So there you go. Well, the story of how he became the leader of the Branch Davidians is a a really interesting and fucked up one. So in 1983, Koresh began claiming the gift of prophecy, which was the big thing for the Branch Davidians. Their leaders were always claiming to be prophets. That's the deal with them. So they're not just looking to these old prophets. They're claiming their prophets as well. So I think that makes them a little bit different than most religions or at least Christian, you know, um, Christian sects or whatever you want to call them. 
Anyway, it's speculated by Thibodeau and his book. I don't even think this is speculation either. Uh, Thibodeau's book, his 1999 book, is called uh, A Place Called Waco. That uh, Koresh, he had a sexual relationship with 68-year-old Lois Roden, who's the widow of Benjamin Roden and leader of the sect. Like I said, she was in her late 60s, and eventually um, she claimed that God had chosen him to father a child with her who would be the chosen one. I would love to see how that would have worked out with a 68-year-old holding his child. That would fucking be great. I'm sure that would turn out well, as well as this whole thing, I'm sure. So anyway, in 1983, Lewis Roden allowed Koresh to begin teaching his own message called the Serpent's Root, which caused high strife and controversy in the group. Lois Roden's son, George Roden, intended to be the group's next leader and considered Koresh an interloper. Well, George Roden, I don't know if you guys have seen any documentaries about this guy. He just looks like a big fat redneck. Vic, you know who he looks like a little bit? Remember the guy, oh, well, and Blake, the, the guy who said, uh, now you ain't planning on fucking them chickens, are you? From Devil Rejects. <laughs> That's who this guy looks like a little bit. Fat redneck. So, when Koresh announced that God had instructed them to marry Rachel Jones, who then added Koresh to her name, uh, Rachel was, I think, 15? I'm not sure about that, though. There was a short period of call that they had Carmel Center, but it proved to be, like, temporary. Uh, so there was a power struggle now. George Rode, who claimed to have the, the support of the majority of the group, forced Koresh and his group off the property at gunpoint. <laughs> what an awesome religion. Dude, there's got to be some religions like that in Kentucky right now, Vic, especially in our city. Fuck. Well, um, uh, I'm trying to remember. Let's see. All right, here we go. So in 1985, Koresh and around 25 followers set up camp at Palestine, Texas, 90 miles from Waco, which I think the name is interesting, Palestine or Palestine. <coughs> They lived under, you know, shitty conditions and, and bushes and tents for the next two years. And during that time, Koresh actually recruited new followers from, like, California, United Kingdom, Israel, Australia. And he also traveled to Israel where he claimed he had a vision that he was the modern-day Cyrus. Like, this dude is just coming up with all sorts of shit. Anyway, the founder of the Davidian movement, Victor Hotef, uh, wanted to be God's implement and establish the Davidic kingdom in Palestine. Well, Koresh also wanted to be God's tool, and he set up the Davidic kingdom in Jerusalem, at least until 1990. He believed the place of his martyrdom might be in Israel. Um, so he actually thought he was going to die in Israel for everybody since, because this guy's crazy. But by 1991, he was convinced that his martyrdom would be in the United States. So instead of Israel, he said the prophecies of Daniel would be fulfilled in Waco and that the Mount Carmel Center was the Davidic kingdom. I know I've pronounced that both caramel and caramel. I don't give a fuck. Uh, after being exiled to the Palestine camp, say what, Vic? Uh, the caramel camel? Yeah. Cigarettes, whatever. So after they were exiled to the Palestine camp, Koresh and his followers, uh, they were just kind of like getting by. They've got like a primitive existence going on. They're basically cavemen like John whenever he didn't have a fucking <laughs> power in his house. Remember that, Vic? He like lived three, three months without without power. I was like, Jesus Christ. Anyway, he does. 
Well, Broderick lived for like a month without water. And well, he's dirty. Yes, he is. Uh, But despite the displacement, Koresh now enjoyed the loyalty of the majority of the Branch Davidian community. So he's (coughs) successfully these people is the way I look at it. Again, sorry if you're offended by that, but that's what I think. By late 1987, George Roden's support was, like, really declining because, again, you got the guy talking about fucking chickens in charge of your congregation. It's not going to go well. <laughs> so to regain it, and this is the best part of this whole thing, I think, the, the entire story, uh, especially with Koresh's background. So to regain, you know, um, support in the, uh, the cult, he challenged Koresh to a contest to raise the dead. <laughs> So he went as far as to exhume a corpse to de- demonstrate his spiritual supremacy. <laughs> he fucking he dug up a corpse, Rick. What's, what's the word, Vic? Grave robbing in Texas is the story of the hour. That's amazing. Yes. So <laughs> what does Koresh do? Koresh wasn't stupid. I know he was Mr. Retardo in school, but, like, legit, he wasn't stupid. So what does he do? Does he exhume a corpse of his own? Does he participate in this stupidity? No, he doesn't. He doesn't do any of those things. Um, He calls the cops on this guy, which I think is fucking funny. Uh, So he calls the cops and all right, so the cops want like photographs. They want proof of this. They, you know, they can't just take his word for it. Um, So Koresh took the opportunity to uh, seek criminal prosecution of Roden, so he returns to Mount Carmel Center with seven armed followers. They're like fucking Rambo, right? They sneak into this this uh, this compound or this Carmel Center. They're trying to get photographic proof of the crime, allegedly. Uh, that's what they say. Well, Koresh's group was, was caught by Roden, and they have a fucking gunfight in this church. <laughs> How great is that, Vic? So when the sheriff gets there, Roden had already suffered a minor gunshot wound and was pinned down behind a tree. And as a result of the incident, Koresh and his followers were charged with attempted murder because they fucking outgunned the other team. Well, at the trial, Koresh explained that he went to Mount Carmel Center to uncover evidence of criminal disturbance of a corpse by Roden. Koresh's followers were acquitted. And Koresh's case of mistrial was declared. So Koresh never actually, you know, did any time for this um, shooting of Roden. Well, in 1989, Roden actually murdered Wayman Dale Adair with an axe blow to the skull after Adair stated his belief that he, Adair, was the true messiah. This George Roden dude was freaking nuts. You think, like, Koresh was wild? This George Roden dude, he's, like, axe murdering people, you know? He's crazy, yeah. I like him. So many good stories from this whole thing. Well, so Roden was judged insane, obviously, and confined to a psychiatric hospital in Big Spring, Texas. And since Roden owed thousands of dollars in unpaid taxes on Mount Carmel Center, Koresh and his followers were able to raise the money and reclaim the property. So Koresh takes over the Branch Davidians officially now. But the funny thing is, Roden can continue to harass the Koresh faction by filing legal papers while in prison. And when Koresh and his followers reclaimed Mount Carmel Center, they discovered that tenants who had rented from Roden had left behind a meth laboratory. (laughs) There's so many fucking... A meth lab, bitch. 
But the funny thing is, I know, you know, how this story is, unfolds, but Koresh actually reports it to the police and they and asks to have it removed. So Koresh gets the meth lab out of there and then he takes over Mark, Mount Carmel. Well, um, on May 15, 1990, David Koresh, Vernon Howe, finally files a, a petition in California State Superior Court in Pomona to uh, change his name for publicity and business purposes to David Koresh. By the way... Um, not sure if they're still there, but there are business cards for David Koresh's um, music uh, venture on eBay. Forty-five bucks a pop. Nice, like nice. a real thing. Yeah. So, any of you, uh, what, what do they call it, Vic? Uh, what are they, murder people who collect murder? Huh? Murderabilia people. There you go. Get it. Well. Uh, Koresh, by the way, is the biblical name of Cyrus the Great, who I mentioned earlier, a Persian king who was named the Messiah for freeing Jews during the Babylonian captivity. His first name, David, symbolized the lineage directly to the biblical King David. I don't know how I'm able to read this well. This is amazing, because I've been drinking. From whom the new Messiah would descend. <clears throat> by taking the name of David Koresh, he was professing himself to be the spiritual descendant of King David, a messianic figure carrying out a divinely commissioned errand. Well, let's go back to child abuse, shall we? Why not? Um, Koresh was actually alleged to be involved in unproven multiple incidents of child abuse and sexual abuse. Koresh's doctrine of the House of David did lead to quote-unquote marriages with both married and single women in the group, purportedly with at least one one underage girl. Um, There's lots of stories of him sleeping with like 12-year-olds and at least one of an 11-year-old. Now, whether you choose to believe it or not is up to you. I kind of do. He married a 14-year-old, taking people's wives. Obviously, he was a sick pervert. Pretty sure he was a pedophile. Anyway, the underage yeah. girl was Michelle. Yeah, it just seems obvious, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. So the underage girl is Michelle Jones, the younger sister of Koresh's legal wife, Rachel, and the daughter of lifelong Branch, Branch Davidians, Perry and Mary Bell Jones. And Koresh allegedly had sex with Michelle when she was 13, evidently with the consent of the Joneses. So I want to get into something. Look, David Koresh, in my opinion, is a piece of shit. But, but, what is wrong with these parents? Seriously? You know what I'm saying? Like, what the fuck? This dude was like, over 30 by this age, and they're just cool with it. They're like, ah, oh, it's fine. Can you imagine? Seriously. What's wrong with these people? Idiots. They're dumb? I mean, I guess. I guess they're like, they're grown-ass people. <laughs> so, um, I guess things in Texas are just a little different. I don't know. Everything's bigger in Texas, including... Um, <laughs> Except for the age of consent, apparently. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Well, a six-month investigation of child abuse allegations by the Texas Child Protection Services in 1992 failed to turn up any evidence. Because, number one, how do you actually find evidence of that? Unless somebody's willing to talk, there, there's no evidence. Possibly because the Branch Davidians concealed the spiritual marriage of Koresh to Michelle Jones assigning a surrogate husband, which was David Thib- Thibodeau, to the girl for the sake of appearances. Wonderful. Well, 
Regarding the allegations of child abuse, the evidence is less sure. In one widely reported incident, ex-members claimed that Koresh became irritated with the cries of his son, Cyrus, and spanked the child severely for several minutes on three consecutive visits to the child's bedroom. Uh, in a second report, a man involved in a custody battle visited Mount Carmel Center and claimed to have seen the beating of a young boy with a stick. I don't know. Again, this is all reports. Who, you know, whether it was true or not, I don't know. Um, I will tell you this: when you see David Koresh with his kids um, in those videos that he sent out, uh, experts did claim that those kids look scared. I don't really get that myself because I'm not an expert, but if they're saying that, then I'll believe it. Yeah. Of course, if they're stuck in a building for 51 days, I'm sure they are. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, Well, let's, uh, let's, let's begin the uh, siege now. We'll get back to maybe the child abuse stuff later, but... The siege, again, I talked about this earlier, uh, began on February 28, 1993, when the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, that's the ATF, raided Mount Carmel Center. Now, this is the um, the first of, like, a lot of controversial things that happened. And, Blake, this is when we'll really get involved with maybe some um, opinions on this. The ATF were fuck-ups. I'm not saying that this whole thing wasn't warranted, that they didn't need to take down the Branch Davidians, that Koresh didn't need to go down. This whole thing was planned horribly. Get in here, Blake. Give me some thoughts, buddy, on this first day of the siege. I'm sorry, Travis. Would you say that again? I said, um, get in here and give me some thoughts on the first day of the siege where the ATF had just, you know, I sat here and I said that, you know, I, I think they were right to um, try to take down Koresh, but their fucking planning was horrible. Yeah, I just, I don't know. The first, okay, so let me just say, the idea of the tear gas, when I talked about Well, that's, this, that's day 51, that's day 51, but we're on the first right, day. Right, but I mean, what I'm saying is, if you're thinking, I mean, if you look at... Look at everything. I just think that the whole thing from the very, very beginning was not planned out as properly as it should have been. You know, I mean, going through every day. You didn't think it was a good idea to have, um, (laughs) you didn't think it was a good idea to have, uh, like, 40-year-olds, you know, camp out, like, in a shed across the street from the compound and, and say that they're students? You don't think that was a good idea? Man, the whole thing is just nuts. The whole, the whole, the whole situation. I just, I, there's so much, and I don't know, are you guys familiar, speaking of that whole thing in the, you know, across the street, you know, in like a shed or something, was there ever a movie made about this situation? About Waco? Yeah, I swear there was when I was a kid that yeah. aired on, like, a Lifetime or yeah. something like that. It was shitty. It was shitty. But there's also a TV show that aired. Uh, it was, like, a, a mini series that aired a couple years ago. And supposedly it was really good, but the way they didn't really, I don't know, it sounded like to me that they didn't portray uh, Koresh as, they, they kind of made it sound like he was an innocent victim. And I think that's horseshit. 
but that's just me. Yeah, that was not a good way to paint him. I mean, he wasn't innocent. He wasn't innocent. No, uh, a bunch of the people there absolutely were innocent. You know? Yes, yeah. I mean, there were a lot of innocent people who lost their lives in this whole thing, but to um, to say that Koresh was innocent, no. But, I mean... Anytime the government's involved in something, though, there's going to be that type of controversy, especially when the government fucks up so badly. And clearly they did. I mean, I'm not disputing that fact at all. The ATF, I think this whole thing, um, the Waco siege, the way it started, <laughs> I think the, the reason why they did it the way they did it was because they wanted the publicity from doing it, uh, from doing the siege, because... The press already knew about it. Supposedly, the press were looking for the compound, told a um, post officer that you know they couldn't find the place, and it basically tipped them off. So Koresh and the Branch Davidians knew they were coming. They knew that they were on their way. Um, and Koresh even told the guy that they had on the inside, what was his name, Robert Ramirez, Robert Rodriguez. Um, he was... He was an undercover uh, guy there in the uh, compound. Anyway, he told the guy that he knew they were coming, and so the guy goes back to the um, to the ATF, and he says, we can't do this today. They know we're coming. It's going to end bad. And they're like, no, the fucking press is here. Let's go do it. And so they do, right? And how does it work out? Four ATF agents dead. You know, you get multiple uh, Branch Davidians dead that first day. Koresh gets shot. Um uh, Definitely in the side he got shot because that's the wound he shows. He, he said he got shot in the wrist. I never saw that, but supposedly he got shot in the wrist. But that first day was just wild as hell because, I mean, the ATF thought they were going to come in and shut it down, but they were ill-prepared for how how militant and how stocked the Branch Davidians were. They had so many guns in this compound, didn't they, Blake? Yeah, there were, I mean, and like you said, the first day... I mean, we're talking, what, six six Davidians, six French Davidians killed the first day? Yeah. So already, already we've got that. And, and once once people start dying, it doesn't get any better from that. Okay, so here it no is. There's no way okay. to take those deaths back, you know what I'm saying? Yep. On, on that day, it was Sunday, February 28, 1993, at about 9.30 a.m., and this is the official, like, chronology of the whole February thing. February all over. That's just a couple days from here. That's right. 26-year wow. anniversary coming up. That's why we're doing the show. Yeah. So, so uh, the ATF, they uh, they come in there at 9.30 a.m. They attempt to execute arrest and search warrants against Koresh, and they weren't having that shit at the compound. Well, and the controversy here is, why would they try to get him in the compound? Why not wait until he leaves the compound and snatch him up, like, out in the town? And they claim that, you know, their intelligence told them that he never leaves the compound. But people in town say that's bullshit. They see him in town all the time at restaurants and stuff. So, again, ATF, they were trying to get publicity. Let me clarify one more time. Have no problem with them getting Koresh. That's cool. Get them. Do whatever you got to do with them. The, the way they did it was stupidity just all the way through. But anyway, so four ATF agents are killed, and 16 are wounded that first day. That's fucking wild. Now, what we don't know, Blake, is that it was an undetermined number of Davidians who were killed and injured. Nobody knows that first day, because it's not like they were letting them take their dead away, you know? Right. 
So within a few hours, the FBI becomes the lead agency for resolving the standoff because the ATF fucked it all up. Jeff Jamar is named the on-site commander. By the afternoon, advanced units of the FBI's hostage rescue team arrive, and telephone, telephone conversations are underway between Koresh, Steve Schneider, who basically is unofficially Koresh's right-hand man, which is interesting because you, I hadn't talked about this, but Koresh actually... In the compound, he claimed that he could take multiple wives. Um, he also took Steve Schneider's wife uh, and gave her a baby. And this was a common thing with Koresh. He took, like, these these people were giving him their wives, and he was getting them pregnant. He was, like, having sex with all the women in the compound, and the men were not allowed to have sex with their wives. Now, if that's not a fucking crazy cult, I don't know what is. Scary, if you ask me. Uh, anyway, and Wayne Martin on one side, and the ATF's Jim Cavanaugh and Waco Police Lieutenant Larry Lynch on the other. And Koresh says that he's been wounded on the hip and left wrist. And Koresh is allowed to broadcast his religious teachings on Dallas Radio, K KRLD, and does a CNN telephone interview. And again, this is all in the first day. That's fucking wild. But anyway, Michael Schroeder, a Branch Davidian, is actually killed while he tries to return to the main building. And Texas Rangers begin an investigation but are barred by the FBI from continuing. So at about 5.30 p.m., Jamar arrives at Waco and chooses Byron Sage as the FBI's chief negotiator. Now, this, this stuff, by the way, <coughs> is all coming from, like, um, congressional hearings. So that's why I'm able to kind of map this out. And, uh, and just a, kind of a throwback, President Clinton, not Hillary, sorry, people, she didn't win. You've got Bill Clinton. Uh, he he follows the events closely throughout the day. And he's kind of, a lot of people will talk about how he is or isn't involved in this whole thing. Um, next day, you got in the early morning, you've got Acting Attorney General Stuart Gerson, who gives an update to Clinton, who implicitly endorses a negotiated solution and asks to be advised if there's any change in strategy. Larry Potts at FBI headquarters in Washington and Jamar in Waco are in command. And negotiations continue because they're trying to get the kids out. They're trying to get the uh, innocent people out. They're trying to get Koresh to, you know, turn himself in so he can end this shit. Well, little do they know, you know, the, how stocked they are in this place. They're not just stocked with ammo and guns. Um, they're st I mean, they have meal rations. Like, they've got their food rationed out like a military. And that's why I wonder, you know, when, when people say things like, uh, you know, these guys are just minding their own business. They're allowed to stock stockpile ammo. They're allowed to um, have their own religion. Uh, sure, but my question is, you know, if they're changing these guns to uh, automatic weapons and, and stockpiling that much ammo and they've got a militia put together, if this raid had never happened, what do you think they were going to do with those guns? You think they were just going to sit on them, do nothing? That's the thing that I don't think people think about, you know? Yeah. Uh, I agree, because you know, they're a religion. They're taught to always talk about getting prepared for the end of the world, and by getting prepared for the end of the world, we're going to stockpile a bunch of ammunition and guns, and, you, you know, because that, that's necessary, because we're, if it's the end of the world and you're going to die of meat your maker, what do you need a gun for? Exactly, exactly. And not just one gun, lots of guns, and they're and heavy, I mean... You know how the FBI got, or uh, the uh, ATF got tipped off in the first place is that a UPS driver was delivering uh, grenades and the box was open and he's like, oh shit, you know what I mean? So that's what really tipped everybody off. 
you see some grenades, you're like, oh, shit, I need to let somebody know, and here we go, and here we are. Why do they need grenades? That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that they're not legal to have. I'm wondering why they did, you know? And so there's there's more to it than just we're preparing for the end of the world. You're preparing to aggressively attack someone. You have to be. Yeah, again, there's just so much left up to speculation. That's what that's one of the things around this case that just it'll, it'll I mean, people will talk about this forever. Yep. And again, I, I want to clarify once again. I and also let me also clarify this. I don't fucking trust the government. I'm always for less government, not more. So please don't think for a second that I'm saying, oh, the government's great, blah blah blah. No, I'm just saying I don't trust a crazy cult. That's all especially with a guy like Koresh in charge. Um, now, I could go through all the next 50 days of this whole standoff, but let's let's get through some highlights. You know, Koresh is doing his recordings, and he just keeps putting off the FBI. They're trying to get him to come out. He lets some kids out at various times. Not a whole lot, um, but some. And, uh, you know, Koresh is uh, doing this whole thing, talking about the seven seals, which is this crazy prophecy he has that once the seven seals are open, it'll bring about the end times or something like that. Anyway, when the FBI finally gets fed up with it, they're like, okay, look, we're not talking to any more Bible mumbo-jumbo. <laughs> we don't want to hear anything else about the Bible. We only want to talk about you getting those people the hell out of here. And he's just like, no, man, uh, you know, the the seven seals are like, we don't want to hear seven seals anymore. I'm hearing that shit in my sleep. Stop it. You know, it, it just goes on and on. Again, 51 days. Shit, Vic, uh, I told you I remember the Waco thing, but I sure don't remember this thing going on for 51 days. Fuck. You know, that is a long time. A long time. I wonder what the media coverage of something like that would be now, you know? Oh, they'd be broadcasting. Some somebody somebody would be outside somehow over the compound up in a tree, filming it. Their TMZ would be there. There would be no way. There would. I hate to say it, but in a in, to today's technology and, and capability and access, I think there would have been a lot more casualties a lot sooner. Okay. Yeah. Too many prying eyes would have access to it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yep. I'm not glorifying violence at all, ever. Never do I ever glorify that, but I'm saying it's inevitable when you have too many people knowing what you're doing like that, especially today. I mean, the celebrities today, they can't even get in a limo without being mobbed by, you know, 50 to 100 or however many following them to whatever. And, you know, media coverage over tragedies like this are... I mean, even think back to Columbine, how how much more aggressive the media cover was for Columbine than it would have been at the same time that Waco was going on. It's completely different, both completely different kinds of tragedies, both with a large loss of life. Uh, one school shooting, one, uh, you know, big cult you know, massacre. Uh, but just think about how the it had changed in a few short years, because what, Waco, that, that it did in 93, and then uh, Columbine was 99, uh, and in just six short years, how much the press is involved in tragedies like that had changed. Yeah. yeah, I remember after Sandy Hook, it was like an all-day blitz of media coverage. Nothing but Sandy Hook. That's all they talked about. Yeah. So, I remember. 
Okay, so let's skip ahead a couple months. Again, 51 days. We're on Monday, April 19th now. You know, again, they're just fed up with Koresh and his bullshit. He keeps saying that he's going to come out, and then he, like, says, oh, well, God told me not to right now, so I'm waiting on get the word from God. And they're like, no, no, fuck that. So they're finally done. By the way, one of the things that they were doing while they were uh, in the compound, the FBI was, like, getting sick of their shit. So late at night, they were like, well, they'd shut off the power to the compound at multiple times. They would play loud music at night, the FBI would, just to keep the Davidians uh, the awake. And they would do things like play uh, loud airplanes and motorcycles and things, like loud noises, just to, again, fuck with them. And apparently, a bunch of the, uh, not on the FBI side of negotiators, but like the tactical people were like mooning the Branch Davidians. They were all fucking with them. It was just like, it had to be a crazy scene, you know? Just, um, just all the weirdness that was surrounding this whole thing. But anyway, we're finally to April 19th. Uh, and so at 5.59 a.m., uh, they telephone the Davidians, and they, they meaning uh, S-A-G-E, or Sage, he does. He telephones the Davidians, notifies them of an in, imminent tear gas assault. Uh, and this is where one of the debates come into play. So Sage reads a message over the loudspeaker advising the Davidians that they are under arrest and should come out. At 6.02 a.m., two FBI combat engineering vehicles, or CEVs, begin inserting gas into the compound through spray nozzles attached to a boom. At 6.04 a.m., the Davidians start shooting, and the FBI begin deploying Bradley vehicles to insert ferret rounds through the windows. These are tanks, people. This is what's going on. So if you've watched the video, these tanks are just fucking running into this compound. At 6.31, the HRT reports that the entire building is being gassed. At about 7 a.m., Janet Reno and senior advisors, again, she's, I think, Attorney General, uh, Janet Reno and senior advisors go to the FBI Situation Room. At 7.30, a CEV breaches the front side of the building on the first floor and injects gas. And at 7.58 a.m., gas is inserted in the second floor of the back right corner of the building. The FBI calls for more gas from outside Waco. And at 9.20 a.m., 48 more ferret rounds arrive from Houston. <laughs> at about 9.30 a.m., with the supply of ferret rounds dwindling, one CEV is having mechanical troubles and high winds are blowing the gas away. So another CEV begins enlarging the opening in the middle front of the building from which the Davidians could escape. That's what they say. That's what's quoted. And a third CEV with a boom but lacking a gas delivery system breaches the rear side of the building. So basically they are tearing this fucking compound down. One way or another, this shit is going down, and this is going to be the end of this. But about 11 a.m. Washington time, Reno, Janet Reno, talks to Bill Clinton saying everything seems to be going well, and she leaves for a judicial conference in Baltimore at 11.30 a.m. The CEV without a gas delivery system breaches the backside of the compound, concentrating on the back right corner near the warehouse gymnasium. At 11.40 a.m., the last ferret rounds are delivered. At 11.45 a.m., a wall on the right rear side of the building collapses. This shit is coming down, like I said. At 12.07 p.m., the Davidians start simultaneous fires at three or more locations within the compound. This is a quote. Whether you believe it or not, uh, we'll talk about that shortly. Um, an HRT observer reports seeing a quote, a male starting a fire, 
quote, end quote, in the front of the building. At 12.12 p.m., Sage calls on Koresh to lead Davidians out to safety. Nine Davidians flee the compound and are arrested. At about 12.25 p.m., the FBI hears systematic gunfire uh, coming from the compound. And again, this is a quote leaving several agents the impression that the Davidians are either killing themselves or each other. At 12.41, firefighting efforts begin. HRT agents enter tunnels to search for survivors, especially children. In the afternoon, at unspecified time, at unspecified time, unspecified time Jesus fucking Christ, Hubble speaks to McLarty, and after her appearance on ABC's television program Nightline, Rito talks again to Clinton. Uh, sometime in mid-morning, an apparent deviation from the approved plan begins. The plan contemplated that the building would not be dismantled if, after 48 hours, not all the, not all the people would come out. However, the CEVs began knocking holes into the compound the morning of the assault. The CEV, not equipped with tear gas, knocks down a corner of the building, and a portion, portion of the roof collapsed. In order to clear a path to the main tower so that the other CEV could insert gas in the arena, in the area, rather. Okay, so... Here is how it ends for Koresh. Uh, in, the, uh, in the course of the advance on the compound, the church building caught fire, obviously, and this is the part that's disputed, but barricade inside the building, 79, I'm going to say that again, 79 Branch Davidians perished in the ensuing blaze. So these people either burned alive or shot each other, uh, or were shot. 22 of these victims were children under the age of 17, which is just fucked. According to the FBI, Steve Schneider, Koresh's right-hand man, who, quote, probably realized he was dealing with a fraud, quote, shot and killed Koresh and then committed suicide with the same gun. A second account gave a totally different story. Quote, Koresh, then 33, died of a gunshot wound to the head during the course of the fire. No one kills, no one knows who killed him or if he killed himself. End of quote. The medical examiner reported that although federal law enforcement personnel fired no shots that day, 20 people, including five children under the age of 14, had been shot, and three and a three-year-old had been stabbed in the chest. Okay, that ends the uh, the siege on Waco. Fucking nine people survived, 79 dead in this this fire. And well, um, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it, um, Blake. Um, I'm gassed right now, so it's your turn, buddy. Why don't you talk about what you think happened? Uh, obviously, we don't know, but your thoughts on you know what went on that last day? Well, my thoughts are well, one way or two that that was the last day that David Koresh ever breathed. You know, a breath Which of life. I don't know whether or not he shot himself or was killed by someone else, but... It was like in his forehead, though. It seems like not the type of way you would kill yourself, you know? No, but then again, I can't speak to that because George Reeves, I'm sure you're aware of him, was shot in a weird way that the medical, that the police and everybody else that investigated that scene concluded he had committed suicide. But shooting yourself in that in the like holding the gun in the back of the head, shooting yourself doesn't seem like the easiest way to do it or even the most possible way to really do it. Um so I don't think a forehead shot would be something that he would have maybe done on on his own. He might have been you know what, thinking about it, he might have been praying down on his hands and knees or something, uh, and looked up 
and was shot uh, as someone approached him. That's just very possible. That would make sense to me as far as the forehead shot, because it seems like it would be hard to shoot someone in the forehead while they were running, running at you, which I don't see why David Crash would be running towards someone with a gun. And second of all, if he was running away, there would be no way he would be shot in the forehead unless he was running in the direction of gunfire. Uh, you know, which I don't think even he would do. So I think he was probably doing something else, and then he was distracted, and when he looked up at whoever it was, they shot him. Uh, because it's just, it seems to me that's what makes sense. Uh, and then I'm, I'm going to do this bit by bit huh? with you. I, I want to talk about that with you, too. That way we're not just, like, giving all tons of info. Let's talk about each thing kind of bit by bit. Since you mentioned that, I'm going to say I think another member, whether it was Steve uh, uh, Schneider or not, shot him because it was in the forehead. The reason why I say this is because there were Branch Davidian children that said that Koresh was teaching them how to kill themselves if something were to happen. And he was telling them to, I think he was telling them to point up you know, from the bottom of your chin to make sure that, you know, it doesn't just injure you, that that it actually kills you. It's not the way he killed himself is what I'm saying, or or how he was killed. So it would make sense to me that he killed himself. Um, I don't think he was killed by the FBI because the claim is that they didn't shoot anybody. And if you watch the video, that, that might be true. I'm not sure if it is or not. Um, I just don't see what the point of them shooting anybody at this point was anyway. Um... So, yeah, I'm going to say one of the other Branch Davidians killed him. That's my opinion. Uh, don't know who, don't know why, but I'll leave it at that. So, Blake, continue on, my friend. Uh, the next point is like that is the children. I have to. I have to stop my children. Um, so many children were dead. And I don't think, like you said, if they were being instructed on how to kill themselves, I don't think that... I don't think that they would have all probably been able to uh, all probably been able to do it themselves. I mean, they, of course, they had enough weapons to do that. Um, you know, obviously enough ammo. But I just I I don't know. It just doesn't seem because from everything that I've read, media reports, and people that were on the scene post post you know incident, it seems like that it looked like several of the people that were dead were dead of either murder, suicides, or suicides. And I just don't know that all the kids would have been able to do that. I mean, I guess it's a po- I guess it's possible, but I guess for some reason, thinking emotionally and psychologically, thinking of a small child, you know, a young child picking up a pistol and shooting themselves in the head, just doesn't seem like, I guess, something that I'm ready to, like, acknowledge, something that I can deal with. Uh, because I have young ones, as you do, and I just, I don't know, just something about it doesn't seem, doesn't, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't want to believe that the kids did it to themselves. No, I don't think they did. I think the other ones killed them. That's what I think, the other Davidians, you know, mercy killing in their mind. I mean, it's a possible thing. Obviously, it is possible for a kid to kill themselves or kill someone else. We see it in the news all the time. Uh, but I don't, I just don't think on that massive scale because it also seems like the way they were talking about the burst of gunfire, when you coordinate all the kids, they're going to go kill themselves at the same time. 
like right at that same moment because that's not how it happens. Usually in mass suicides, they all kill themselves in one moment, like in one specific time for a period, not like the uh, only one I've ever heard of that was during that was Heaven's Gate. And that's because it seemed like the last person who they found that was dead wasn't covered up because there was no one else to cover that person up. So it's like they shot themselves or drank the poison. And then uh, whoever else was with them covered them up, and then they drank the poison, and then the person beside them covered them up. So it just seems like there's a methodology. And usually with mass suicides like that, it all happens at the same time. But even you said it, they reported different bursts of gunfire throughout the compound, and not all at the same time. It was different places, you know, different times. So I think, like you said, they probably killed the kids and then started picking each other off. Uh, and the ones who weren't picking each other off picked themselves off, uh, you know, so... It's just one of those things. Part of me really wants to know what went on inside of it, and then another part of me doesn't. Because I think that if I was to ever really know what happened in there, that it would change my view on a lot of things, like as far as what I think human life is capable of. Because people like David Koresh, people like Charlie Manson, people like you know Richard Ramirez and all these others, you just don't want to think that people are capable of that kind of thing. But in situations like this, it becomes all too real. We know people are capable, but you just don't want to know the how, what levels they take it to that. You know? And I guess that's where I'm, I'm standing. There's a tremendous loss of life. And like I said, it's a miracle that nine people made it out. Yeah. It is. Uh, Blake, who do you think started the fires? FBI or Crash's people? You know, that's a good question, Travis. And after doing some research on it and, and you know, putting lots of options in my own head so that I could try to maybe play it, play it out in my head and see how it went, uh, it's possible either way. Um, I do know that years later, um, they admitted, they being the government, that the tear gas that they used was flammable. I love it. And I think well, they, they yeah, there's some of it, but supposedly they shot it into the unoccupied portion of the compound. Oh, so, they, so they claim. Yeah, supposedly they did. But how are you going to know which areas yeah. are unoccupied? Well, well I mean, so, obviously they proved that they'll lie to cover up the you know whatever's happened. So we know that. Right, but I'm just saying it's like okay, so this area appears to be you know unoccupied. Let me shoot some of this off. Well, it might be unoccupied. But what about the last cult member that was in there smoking a cigarette before he went to go do his thing? You just shot tear gas in there where the cigarette was. Tear gas is flammable. You just shot it in the room where there's open flame and heat. Now what happens? Or See, I think it. the fires started too fast. I, I really think that the uh, the Davidians started the fires, too. Just said, fuck it's it. Because they, they held up signs like, you, you're going to burn and things like that. They They... There's clues that they would have been the ones that did it. I just, right, and I don't know. It was such a public thing. I think the FBI would have fucked up, would have known that they would have gotten fucked for doing this, you know? Just right. my opinion. Right. I mean, right. Yeah. And I can't say for sure one way or another. I can't say yes, the Davidians did it. I can't say yes, the government did it. I'm, all I can say is it happened. But I'm saying it's just as easy to think that it's possible that I shot a canister into a room where there was heat 
a flame or something, or they could have shot him into, and it would have hit and exploded next to some ammunition, which could have set off a fire. And then in that case, it's not, it's their fault, but nobody did it on purpose. They could have shot it into the room to clear the room out, and in doing so, inadvertently hit some ammunition and caused a chain reaction that caused a fire. That's not something that's just so far fetched and so far based on reality that it can't happen. Right. You know, it, it's mean, just uh, it's a crazy situation. It really was. I mean, yeah, yeah, well, I mean, I think there's people out there that think that the FBI burned these kids alive, and I don't believe that. I don't. I don't. At least not intentionally. If they did, you know, don't get me wrong. I think the FBI fucked up just like the ATF did, but I, I don't think their intent was as malicious as people make it out to be. And so, right. I, I think part of the initial reaction and the and the. Uh, the uproar that happened after with everyone is the loss of life of the kids. Uh, that perpetuated people into a state of anger, you know, that couldn't be easily subdued. Uh, they were mad. The kids are all dead. You guys could have done this different. This is your fault. If you wouldn't have went in there and blown off tear gas blasting through the building with your tanks, those kids might still be alive. The people that were the accusers of, of the government, their hearts were in the right place because they were thinking of the kids, but the way they articulated the thoughts in their hearts might have been articulated in a way that they shouldn't have been. And people were grieving. That was a grievous situation. Those people all died, you know, except for the nine that got out. You know, the rest of them died. They perished in a in a building that was on fire and in pools of blood and ammunition and smoke. And just, it was, I can only imagine, but I can't imagine. Even as a writer, you can't imagine something like that. You know, put yourself there. Uh, the despair, the desolation, the horror. I mean, all that happened in this one place, you know, and, and all at once. But then, you know, it, it went from day one and then 51 days later, in the span of six hours, it it reached its peak, and you know all those people died, and then the building burned down. So yeah. it just it was escalation on, on a on a, a scale that's just tremendous, and not in a good way. It started bad, it ended worse. It started bad with the initial death, those people that died, the, the agent. The Davidians, that you know, whichever unspecified amount of Davidians were dead on the first day, and then it only got worse. So nobody won in this. It was all, it was a tremendous loss of life, and it was a tragedy. And it's just it's just mind-boggling to think 26 years later we're still talking about this. And they for years and years that that'll be what it is. I, I would venture to say another 26 years they'll still be talking about it. You know. Um the thing about this whole thing is, uh, you know, I know we can point blame at the ATF, we can point blame at the uh, FBI, we can point blame at whoever, but ultimately there's one person responsible for this whole thing. His name's David Koresh. You know what I mean? None of this would have happened if he had just turned himself in. Maybe if he wasn't fucking kids. Maybe if he wasn't, you know, stockpiling ammo. Maybe if he wasn't doing this and that and this and all these other things. This could have been prevented. Um, I realized, you know, that the government w- was at fault on some level, but at the end of the day, one person, David Koresh, and uh, you know, you can give me all these sob stories, and I agree, you know, it's sad, but like when people try to act like, you know, the Branch Davidians were innocent victims, the only innocent victims there were the kids, because they're the only ones that 
you know, didn't choose to be there. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. just like Jonestown. Just like Jonestown. A lot of these people who fucking killed themselves or were killed, I mean, these idiots got themselves in this position. So it's hard for me to feel too bad for them. It's the children that I feel bad for because they don't get opinions. You know, they're kids. They don't get opinions. It's sad. That's what's sad to me. The adults, you had a chance to get out. You decided to stay for some weird-ass fucking religious cause. So you're no different than, you know, the people of Jonestown or wherever else. I, I just don't understand that mentality. Um, I know that sounds callous, but Jesus Christ, fucking have a mind of your own. I don't understand why so many people want to be led so badly. You know what I mean? Like, think for yourself. Quit trying to be, quit trying to be you know... Um, sheep and that's literally what they're trying to be like he, they want him to be the shepherd and they're the sheep I, I just don't get that mentality is it laziness is it you know I, I don't get it it's, it's weird and you know these people weren't all stupid like there were Harvard graduates in this thing so I, I just don't get it it's so weird yeah I, mean, I understand what you're saying I mean it, it is and, and I think it boils down to we can't really say why they did it but they believed what they were doing was the right thing uh, I've never felt so strongly about something that I felt like I could be led into doing something like that, you know. So I, I guess it's just maybe Fresh was compelling in some on some level. He obviously was. Oh, he was charismatic. He was charismatic. I'll give well, him that. Sure. Well, just so like Charlie Hanks. Marshall so Applewhite. So were all these other people. Manson. They were charismatic people. Yeah. Yep. But, but you know, it just the whole thing just it stinks. It's rotten from the from the ground up. And, and I mean, all those people had to bury their kids, and, and all those other people, and, and they should have. Fresh, he started wrong, like getting arrested, and then he goes, he goes in there and gets with uh, the the woman, the wife of the one who took over, and then died, and then. She dies, and then he gets into a gunfight with her kid, and then her kid ends up dead. So they already, he was already on the FBI's you know, watch list. He was already in the system. They knew there was something. And it just, he, it just, he started out bad. I mean, the whole thing started out bad. Um, seems like when he came into those people's lives in 1981, uh, that it was a down, it was just a down, all downhill from here, you know, from that moment. That's so wild. So wild. I mean, the whole yeah, thing just... Oh, very rarely is it it's something that's so, that's so much so that you and I and Vic, all we can do is just be like we are now, speechless, really. I mean, even though we've been talking, uh, nothing we say can come close to what we're feeling about it. And how conflicted it all is. I think that that's a good word for this, conflicted, because that's what it is. It's like, who's to blame? So many different sides. Fresh is to blame. Uh, you know, and Janet, you know, admitted that they botched that, you know, whole situation, that whole solution that she had, you know, and her team had devised on the end, ending this. The whole thing was wrong. From the start, it was bad. It, it just... On every every portion of it, every part of it, it was bad, and, and it just it's, it was a hopeless situation. And I hate that because those kids all suffered. You know, they never got to grow up and live their own lives. They went down in pools of blood and 
hot flame and gunfire, that's no place for a child to be. I feel most sorry for the children. And for yeah, the, how you could know, you not? I mean, that's not their fault their parents are fucked up. That I don't know what the families were thinking, you know, like, I, I can't speak to that, but how they felt after realizing they sent this kid off, the kids off to die, essentially, is what it turned out to be. I know that's not what they intended, but think about that. Think about waking up and, and having to deal with the anguish and the guilt that they felt. And, and, and that situation, it, ruined, it stigmatized the whole town. Waco will forever be known as that. It still is. It still has been. For 26 years, that's what Waco has been. You know, you go to all these other places, you know, and, uh, you know, Texas, you know, all these other places, and, you know, you get Tombstone, you get all this other stuff, and you get all these other places, and then Waco. And that's all you can yep. say. That's all you can say, Waco, and that's all you have to say. Because everyone goes back to that moment and, and realizes that they basically watched in the span of 51 days, you know, almost 100 people, including the large majority of children, perish for no reason whatsoever. Just an un, un, you know, explained loss of life for no reason. There was no gain for those kids losing their lives. No gain for the people that lost their lives either. Nobody won in that situation. And whatever power David Koresh had of those people is frightening. Because like you said, I would hate to see what would have happened if he, if if they wouldn't have come in on them. Like you said, what would those weapons have been used for? What would have happened? What would have been the, the next big movement for the Branch Davidians? Would they have made the news some other way? Would it have been another You know, branch? they talk about the apocalypse. They would have tried to make the apocalypse, if you ask me. You know what I mean? Because like, that's what, essentially what these, these groups in, end up trying to do. They make these, these um, predictions about the apocalypse, and then when they don't come true, they try to make it happen themselves. That's, That's what not I how it works. As a believer in what I believe in, and I can't speak to anybody else's belief, if there's going to be an apocalypse and there's going to be an end of the world, Jesus Christ, the God, you know, God in heaven already knows when it's going to be, how it's going to happen, and what the result's going to be. You can't perpetuate. His, it's going to happen in his time. It doesn't happen in our time. That's just my well, belief. This is a guy who believed in having 140 wives. So, I mean, you know... <laughs> Consider the source. That's all I'm saying. Well, right, yeah. right. And I understand it, but I mean, just just think about it. I mean, it, you can't... I think David Gress thought maybe he was God on some level, uh, but... I think he started know. believing his own bullshit is what it really is. You know what I mean? You say things enough, eventually you might believe it. That's kind of what I think. I, I, yeah, I mean, I can I can agree with that statement on a lot of levels. I mean, people believe, you know, what is it, the old X Files thing? You know, uh, trust no one, believe, I uh, deny everything, you know, resist or serve. That whole stigma, you know, it, it, yeah. it moments like this, you know, and, and even even science science fiction wise, go to the board, resistance is futile. It's very true. It's coming for everyone. Uh, whether you try to perpetuate it or whether it just happens at its own time, you can't choose 
you know, like that. So something is supposed to be a religious thing like the end of the world, you know. I mean, I've heard several people say that the angels in heaven don't even know when the apocalypse is going to happen. So what makes a regular Joe nobody on earth think they know any different? Well, that shit is going on in our state right now. <laughs> Vic and I will talk about that shortly. Vic, uh, let me get your thoughts on this whole thing, man. You haven't had much to say yet. You've just been kind of listening in, doing your Vic thing. Uh, give me some thoughts on, on, I guess, final thoughts on uh, Fresh and Waco, man. Um, I mean, not really much to say. I mean, the whole thing, like I said, it was just so real to me, and I, I do think Crush uh, was shot by whoever, the FBI killed everybody, and, like, I don't know. Wait, um, I don't, I, I kind of wish I was there for it. <laughs> Is that bad? <laughs> Just to see it? I mean, I get you. I get yeah. you. Uh, you know, it's one of those things like, like, I, 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 I talked about. I don't know, man. It's... The whole, thing, the whole thing is crazy about just thinking about it to this day. And now, every time I think about Waco, I think about our, our good buddy, Jerry, who lives in Waco, North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good point. We all know Jerry. <laughs> no, man. All right, man. Uh, yeah, that's the accurate everybody. That's, that's what I'm going with. Fair enough. Sad that they killed the kids then, but, you know, glad that they killed Koresh. I'll say that, if they did. <laughs> you know, fuck him. So, um, it's, um, I, I mentioned this earlier. We've kind of touched on it. Vic, talk about our last week or so here in the state of, good old state of Kentucky. Really? Last week in the North, I think we've had about... Between uh, Louisville and Newtown, followed by two shootings and uh, a couple stabbings, a few stolen cars, a couple cops getting shot, a couple people getting shot by cops. Um, and, and it's not just one area. We, we had uh, some guy shoot, uh, shoot another guy in the olive garden because his three-year-old daughter bumped into the table. <laughs> like... By the way, that seems so, to be verified, too. So I don't know what the fuck Corey's talking about. He's full of shit. We don't know what Corey's talking about. Well, he's being racist. Well, I know that, but it's yeah, kind of dumb to be yeah, racist when yeah. it's a Mexican who was, who was yeah, killed. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's verified on multiple reports. And, I mean, the, 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 why, who, why do you have to have a gun when you go, to, go out to eat? And, um, why, you know what I'm saying? Like, what makes you think you had to have a gun to go to the Olive Garden? And why are you shooting people over a, a little girl bumping your table? Jesus Christ. And, and then, like, like you I mean, can't tell me you fear for your life in the moment. And, I mean, apparently, you know, he was yelling all kinds of racist stuff at the guy. Like, you don't belong here. Go back to where you came yeah. from. And, yeah, and, you know, white people are always getting blamed for shit. That dude was black, just for the record. We're not the only ones that are racist assholes. <laughs> assholes sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like the whole thing's crazy, man. And 
I don't I don't know what's going on in E Town tonight, but I mean there's cops over there shooting people and there's a big crime scene, meth labs exploding or something. Like uh, I all the uh lower violence on them tearing down the projects. Before they tore all the projects down, they ended all in one area. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now everybody is just moved, migrated out into the entire city. So now they're, you know, like J Town's looking like Chicago right now. It's fucking nuts, dude. Blake, it's wild, dude. Yeah. Our fucking, it's crazy. No. Like, that Olive Garden shooting was right by Vic's work. Right by his work yeah. and not far from my house. So. I just I don't understand. Yeah, like I, I don't I don't blame your brother for getting out of town, man. I don't blame him for moving out of the city. Dude, we are Chicago Junior at this point. We really are. Wow. Right. Oh, Ray knows. Yeah. Ray crushes his city constantly for good reason. He knows how stupid his city's becoming. I love seeing him yeah. too, because they're fucking losing their minds there. Man, we, we've talked to him about Louisville before. He sees how Louisville's getting too, man. Like it's it's horrible. Did you see him? Uh, and I shared this on our page. He was talking about this mayor that's running there that believes that cops should just be armed witnesses. <laughs> I was like, what? What? Yeah, they should be armed uh, witnesses. They meaning they don't do anything. They're just witnesses. Lord, I mean, because Chicago is not bad enough. Yeah. Oh, fuck it. I give up. I, uh, major cities in this country, L.A., New York, Chicago. For some reason, Louisville wants to be one of those. I don't get it. Blake, I, I don't blame you for living in bumfuck Nashville, buddy. At least it's safe, I think. Well, Nashville does have its own problems. I mean, you're not Nashville, Nashville. Traffic, crime, uh, expensive places to live. There's a meme going around I've seen on Facebook. It's this shack, and it says uh, $250,000 a year with like a $9,000 deposit. This is Nashville, and it's like some shack. It looks like something that Jason Voorhees would live in in Friday the 13th, Part 2. And that's accurate. It's just places to live, even the places that are run down are just extremely expensive. And there's too many people in, in a place, you know, and the traffic is just, oh, my God, it's ridiculous. I mean, hey, I've been so, there, uh, but, you know, traffic's never as bad there. <laughs> so so next month, like literally 30 days from today on March 26 or 31 day, whatever the fuck it is, um, we, we mentioned this guy earlier. Would you guys like to talk about Heaven's Gate? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I was. I, I actually watched the comment thing when it happened, like the whole like thing and all that. I was about twelve years old, I think, when that whole thing happened. So. Happened in '97. So, yeah, that's about right. I think you were born in '85. Is that right? I was, in fact. That's what my biography says, anyway. <laughs> there you go. So, um, yeah, let's talk uh, Heaven's Gate next month. So this will be like our fourth cult. Fifth, if you include the Chicago Rippers, yeah, something the something Chicago like Rippers, Manson family, yeah. which is a legendary episode. Uh, 
We pack for Ash. Manson, Chicago Rippers, Fresh, Jonestown, and then we're going to be talking Heaven's Gate next month. Uh, never thought we'd be talking about all Heaven's Gate, but fuck, man. We've done Koresh. We might as well do one more, right? Absolutely. You know, and uh, it's funny because uh, we've got all these these uh, episodes that are related, you know, that close together, but they're all really good episodes. The Chicago Rippers episode was really good. One of my favorites. Oh, yeah, it was. It was a great episode. But, you know, I'm going to be up in y'all's neck of the woods very soon. The uh, weekend after that. I know it. So I'm going to be Bowling Green, so I hope y'all stop by and say hi. <laughs> what is the date of that? It's March 9th. God damn it. I've got oh. a wedding that day. I got Metallica that night. I'm going to see Metallica that day. Well, yeah, I'm uh, going to a wedding that day. It's not even anybody I know. I've never even met this person. Somebody can Well, if you happen to be on the way, I mean, I'm going to be there early, like, you know, probably around 11 o'clock. And I'll stay okay. for a few hours, and then I'll leave. Uh, but I'd love to see you guys if you do happen to make it out that way. I've got some other people that are going to try to show up and say hi. And I, I just love the place I'm doing it at. You know, half Frank looks is great. I got some great movies uh, last time I was there. I got 18 movies, and I think just for the movies, it was only like, you know, $30. And uh, some of them had never even been open. Out of the cellophane. I got some controversial movies, too. I got Kinsey. I got uh, Fail. Uh, uh, American History X, which I saw very young. Probably way too young. Uh, but it's American Beauty. You know, I've already got American Psycho, so I had to have American Beauty. So I picked up some of those, uh, and it's not the subject matter. I just appreciate the filmmaking, the effects, the cinematography, the music, just something about those films. You know, and then, of course, I got some other stuff, you know, some H.P. Lovecraft and horror and uh, a couple of Masters of Horror things. And I got my kids the Batman movie from 1966. That was hilarious to watch them watch that. <laughs> It was beautiful. Nice. Adam West and his, like, his, his bat shark repellent. <laughs> yep, yep. Sure, was great. Yeah, so that's, so that's the closest I'm going to be to you gentlemen, I think, unless you guys come down here for Creepy Con and Oneida, Tennessee Zombie Fest. So I'm doing all these things, all these conventions, and I'm only going to be one signing up in your area. So I'm trying to get some more. There's a tattoo shop up there that I've been talking with that uh, did some work on my wife that I really like, 31 Inc. I'm going to be talking to them, seeing if I can't arrange something with those, uh, with, 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 with that shop, because they do great work, and they like the horror stuff. And We'll see about maybe coming up there and doing something then. But yes, other than that, I think that's the closest I'm going to be to you guys. So. Oh. All right. We'll definitely hook up again soon. Um, hey, speaking of Chicago, fellas, uh, breaking news from Chicago. A person was wounded during a shootout with Chicago police officers at 7.37 p.m. today. So, you know, Chicago, just they just keep going, right? You know, waiting for our next up, update around here. We've got a competition. Uh, I'm just, I'm well, it's crazy, man. People are just doing it in the middle of the day. I mean... Back in my day, like, if this was going to happen, it would be like 2 or 3 in the morning. But these people don't care. Dude, they just the do it all the time. Yeah, man. It's, it's wild, man. I don't understand. 
Sad. We live in a weird time, fellas. That's all I know. A weird time. But, but you know, there have been some other weird times throughout history. So I suppose it's been worse at various points. Um, but, yeah, guys, um, can, can we talk about what we've been watching? Vic, I don't know if you've watched anything lately. Lately, I doubt it because, you know, you had inventory not too long ago. And God knows what else. I had vacation. I went on vacation. Does that count? You want to talk about it? <laughs> I mean, I went. <clears throat> I went to Atlantic City and saw a bunch of people almost bleed to death, and I met June Tsai, and I won almost a thousand dollars on the black dot. So it, it, it was a pretty good time. All in all. Thank you. Yeah. And I, yeah, I did. Oh, I did start playing Resident Evil too, though. Yeah. That's the greatest game ever created and they remastered it and remake. put it back in. It's amazing. It's scary. It makes me... Hell yeah. I haven't played it, but I've been watching some videos. My kids <laughs> like those videos where those people watch they play the game and give you reactions like that. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. Markiplier, and uh, he uh, he was playing it, and uh, man, it is incredible. I, it's making me want to get a you know, station so I can get it, because I... I love the it original. Is so- it was a shit. It was mm-hmm. awesome. The original is my favorite game ever I ever played, and so I had to get the the new one. And it is so good. I mean, just think about the the best game ever made with 2019 capabilities, and like the graphics are so good, and it's amazing. Oh man, seeing Officer Marvin Brandon up close and that whole interaction. Oh man, it's so amazing. Like you feel like you're there. Yeah. Like I thought. The version that I played on N64 and on PlayStation was awesome. This one blows it out of the water. You can see the breath. You can oh, see the, the inner, the, the blowback, the spray. Travis, it, it's it's your kind of game, my friend. It's it's the Gorehounds game. I'm telling you. It's, it's the one you get. We should do that, guys. We should all get some get some beer and get some you know food. Go hang out on a weekend. We've all got off. I'll come up there and make the trip. And we sit down and, and hang out and just play the shit out of that game and you know just watch each other play and watch to see who gets jacked up first. And uh, oh, I die immediately. I suck at new games. So yeah, that'd be fun. Well, it would be fun for Vic and I to laugh at you. That would be worth it. You know. Vic's laughed at me playing Resident Evil before. <laughs> he lost and die. No, I probably All would right. die, too, to be honest. I, I'd give myself about 15, 20 minutes before I ran out of bullets, because you know me. Uh, I can serve until I get into a room full of you know zombies, and then I'm dirty hairy, and I want to go in there guns blazing, you know. And uh, but, it, but it looks amazing. Like, I haven't played it yet, but not watching everybody's, you know, reactions to it, hearing people like Dick talk about how it is, makes me want to play it. So it's well worth the money, apparently. So how much is it, actually, Vic? Is it, what, about $50, $60? How much is it? Yeah, yeah it's 60 bucks. Yeah, 60 bucks well spent right there, though, my friend. I mean, you'll get hours and hours. You'll come back. You'll like yeah. it over and over again. Yeah. The best 60 bucks I've ever spent. <laughs> you got to bring it over sometime, Vic. I have, you know, PS4. Yeah, you got PS4. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll okay. bring it over Saturday when I come over for a little. Uh, that sounds good to me. Yeah. Because I'm not Saturday, so I'm going to move over. 
Okay, cool. All right, so uh, I'm going to talk about what I've been watching. I'll talk about on TV and all that bullshit. So first, first I watched Truth and Lies Waco. This is a, a Hulu program. It was really good. Best documentary I've seen on Waco, I think. I give it four out of four. Fun shit. There was a Nightline special on Waco that was about 18 minutes long on Hulu. It was okay. They had less info, obviously, than Truth or Lies documentary because it was a lot shorter. So three out of four on that. My Bloody Valentine on DVD, I give it a four, obviously. Still, you can go back and listen to our My Bloody Valentine episodes. My Bloody Valentine 3D. Three and a half out of four. I'm not sure what I gave it back in the day, but I love everything except for the ending. I thought it was kind of a cheat. Uh, but the the movie's great. Uh, okay, so Hulu has this series right now these of horror movies that they're doing, and they're like all based on holidays. They started off with a Halloween one, then they did a Thanksgiving one. The Halloween one was good. Thanksgiving one was kind of crappy. And then they did a Christmas one, which was pretty good. And then they did a New Year's one called New Year, New You. And I gave up on it because it was that bad. It sucked. But then they did a, a, a Valentine's Day one called Down, where these two people were stuck in an elevator. And it was really good. It was fun. Uh, three and a quarter stars on that one. So good stuff there. Now, what I've seen at the theaters lately, um, I mentioned <coughs> seeing Glass. I saw it in IMAX also. It was better the second time around in IMAX. So three and a quarter on that. Creed 2 I saw again for a second time. It's still great. I give it four. Out of four, obviously. Serenity, Vic. Matthew McConaughey. I wanted to love it. I did not, though. Because yeah. McConaughey's the man. And he was cool in it. Yeah. But the movie, just it, it was not the same as what the trailer conveyed it as. It ended up being eh. So two and a half for it. They shall not grow old. And I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but it's a World War One documentary. Now, I know a lot about World War Two because my dad's always been really into World War Two. And, you know, everybody knows about World War II on some level because of Pearl Harbor and fucking Holocaust and Hitler and all those things. But this is World War One, and it was really good. Peter Jackson did it. He of Lord of the Rings, Dead Alive, The Frighteners, all that. Three and three quarters out of four. Uh, really good. They shall, not grow, they shall not grow old. So if you get a chance to watch the documentary, do it. It's pretty fucking gross, too. Okay, so happy death day to you, which I saw on February 13th, the day it came out. Uh, Vic was supposed to see it with me, but he got his dates confused somehow. <laughs> and uh, yeah. you did see that, Vic. I'll let, you get, I'll let you give your thoughts on that. I give it two and a half. Happy death day did not need a sequel, but I was excited about it nonetheless. And then it turned out to barely be a horror movie, like barely. I don't even know that I would classify it as a horror movie. It was more of a comedy. It wasn't terrible or anything. It was just, eh. Vic, what do you think? Uh, I liked it a little more than you have seen. Um, I, just it, a little. It wasn't a horror movie. It wasn't a horror movie. It was a cheesy comedy. Um, but I I thought it was good. It wasn't, it wasn't nowhere near the first one. And people that are saying it's better than the first one are morons. But uh, it was enjoyable, and, but I will say I didn't have any expectations going in, and I never even saw a commercial for it. I didn't even know it was coming out, so that might that might have uh, helped me enjoy it a little bit more. 
<laughs> but I gave it a three out of four. I think my whole thing was that it wasn't a horror movie. That's really what knocked it down for me. I was like, what am I watching? You know what I mean? Like, how are you going to make a sequel to a horror movie that's not even a horror movie? Yeah. It does me It's uh, just weird. Yeah. Okay. Well, I saw Cold Pursuit. Liam Neeson was in that one. Uh, I thought it would be a lot like Taken, but it was less like it than I expected. It was kind of a fun, kind of like mafia movie. Three out of four for that. It was fun. If you get a chance to watch it, like, on Blu-ray or whatever, give it a shot. Uh, The Prodigy. I saw that on my birthday a couple weeks ago. And The Prodigy was uh, a lot better than I expected it to be. I I didn't know how good it would be. It's kind of one of those movies where you got, like, an evil little kid. And, you know, I've seen a lot of those, so I didn't expect much from it. But three and a quarter out of four, really solid. Better than I expected, like I said. Worth seeing if you get the chance. Um, <clears throat> I, I I didn't think I wanted to see this movie, and then I heard some decent reviews, and I saw Robert Rodriguez did it, so I was like, all right, why not? Alita, Alita Battle Angel. I saw it in IMAX 3D, and actually it was, like I said, better than I expected. It had good action, decent plot, three out of four for that. And then I saw Free Solo. Vic, you remember me talking about Free Solo? I do. So this is a movie about a guy. Yeah, this is about a guy who wanted to climb the front of like Mount Yosemite, um, which is like a, a it's completely straight up and down climb. Like this is not a thing where you can grab anything, and he's doing it without a rope. And it's an entire documentary about this guy doing it. And I was sitting there, and my hands were sweating, and I'm just freaking out this whole thing. Because I'm, I'm scared of heights, even though I jumped off a 25-foot cliff. I'm still scared of heights. And this is horrifying. But it was really good. So three and three-quarters out of four. And then lastly, I saw uh, Fighting With My Family, which is the Page movie. And it was fun. Uh, it was funny, really funny. Nick Frost was funny. Uh, obviously, they made up a bunch of shit in this movie because they don't tell. It didn't have her getting cum shots in the face from Brad Maddox, that's for sure. That's <laughs> uh, Yeah, sorry. There's no, no Brad Maddox or Xavier Woods in it. But I uh, still give it three and a quarter. It was a fun watch. Uh, Dave Mastiff was in it, Vic. He's just randomly one of the British wrestling extras. I was like, okay. That's awesome. Yep. So anyway, that's all I got. Uh, just a whole lot of Waco stuff. I have watched so much Waco stuff. Like, um, I got this way with Bundy, too. Once you do so much research on somebody, by the time you're ready to talk about it, you feel like you know absolutely everything. And anything you see or, or hear about, you're like, I already fucking do that. Jesus Christ, can't I find something new? You know, so I'm happy to move on. I mean, I enjoyed my time in Waco here, in Waco, Texas, learning about them. Uh, but <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm ready to move on to a new subject. And, you know, Marshall Applewhite's going to be our man. So, <laughs> more Colts. Woo! Yeah. By the way, happy birthday to my son, who's one today. So, little guy turned one today. Well, What? It's Trish's birthday. My wife says happy first birthday. Yeah. 
He's a happy little guy, although he was raging tonight about something. I don't know. He rages sometimes and yells at everybody. It's just about a half by close so that my wife can kidnap your child. All three Oh, the three little? No, no. I can't have... It says the one, I'd be trying to steal a food because she has, like, like junk food like I do. <laughs> you got to look yeah. out for my wild don't have, like, kids. Five, don't you have, like, five, ten, fifteen kids? She has something like that, right, Sam? <laughs> I have five, but uh, three are mine. <laughs> Do what, Lisa? Oh, that is that is jacked up. My wife just threw the ultimate burn on you. She said that pull-out game is weak as hell. Hey, that's intentional, sir. I haven't had any accidents. That was intentional? You haven't had any accidents? Okay. <laughs> never never won. Never won. Ask Dick. He'll tell you. He knows. Wow. Never won. That's that's like my claim to fame. I've never once been surprised by any of them because every one of them was intentional. So and that's because they're all like amazingly cute kids, which I don't understand because you know you're hideous. So I don't. And they all look like me. That's the best part. So they obviously <laughs> beautiful. You're not hideous. You're, I'm kidding. You're. I was paraphrasing. What is it? Kevin Smith, Clark's too. Like you're the most hideous child I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Hell yeah. so what are we talking about? Uh, been watching? I watched some old movies, guys, some old horror that I'd never seen, courtesy of my wife, because I'd never seen well, this. Well, uh, I watched Splice with Adrian Brody. Have you seen it? What is it again? called Splice. It came out about the same time as the oh, remake yeah. of Black yeah. I think I, I think I watched it whenever I worked at Blockbuster. Yeah, and I watched uh, Hide the Seek, which I'd never seen before. I know, right? <laughs> that was, I can't believe I missed that one, but that was good. And then I saw one about these ruins. It's called The Ruins. They're like in Mexico. Yeah. I, th- I like that one. I think I own that. Yeah, that was actually better than I thought it was good. And I watched uh, Body Bags. The wife rented it for me uh, a couple oh, weeks body ago. Bags. I, I, body Bags. I, I keep trying to get it on DVD, but it's like $40 everywhere I look. I'm like, ugh. Dude, it's dumb. It's like they've never produced it. You can probably find it at horror conventions because a lot of people sell those, but I'm sure it's still overpriced. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I've been watching. and uh, watched some science fiction-y stuff, but I did watch Heartstopper with my wife. She had never seen it. Robert Engel's in it. He gets killed by a serial killer who extracts his heart while he's still alive. Really gory. Really, really, really gory. But... Good, wholesome fun, man. So a couple of new ones that were new to me that were still old that I hadn't seen. As far as anything new, uh, I really haven't watched anything really new, um, really. But I guess I'm just so busy. I just haven't had a chance to really sit down and check out Netflix or, or anything like that. Uh, wife and I were considering getting Hulu. What do you guys say? Yay or nay on Hulu? I like Hulu. Yeah. Put it this way, Blake. My my wife pays for Netflix and Hulu, um, and I pay for Sling. But I only pay for Sling during the months when there's football and basketball. And then after, and during the summer, I don't pay for anything. I just like cancel Sling. Um, I don't have cable. I don't have satellite. I don't need any of that shit. I just do like subscription services like that. But as far as Hulu and horror. They have some decent horror, but I, I more so like Hulu for the TV shows because that's more what it's for, in my opinion. Because right now I've got Netflix, I've got Shutter, 
and then I've got uh, Pride, Amazon Pride, you know, regular Pride. Yeah. So that's that's the three that I'm rocking with right now. I just didn't know Hulu was worth it or not. Um, if you're looking for shows and things like that, that you know you you don't want to wait for them to get to Netflix, that type of thing, I think it's a good you know investment, you know, good thing to subscribe to. I think I like the Flash, and I haven't seen the newest season, but I don't know if it's on Hulu yet or not either. So, well, I can tell you that just a second. Um, but I tell you, man, um, the the thing that I like about subscription services, it's not like you're locked into a contract, so you can always just cancel. You know. If you're not digging it, and then you can come back later, and most of the time they're willing to give you free shit just to come back. That's nice. So I love it. Whereas cable and you know satellite and all those are a pain in the ass, or they do things that piss me off. Uh, yeah, let me check the flash here for you, buddy. No, no, my subscription doesn't have the flash. It's like it shows that on live TV. It has the live TV one. Uh-huh. Uh, the Flash is not on Hulu. Okay, that's not a problem. Um, I did want to tell you, I, I saw a Stephen King that I'd never seen. We did buy up there at Half Price Books. Sometimes they come back. So I, did, uh, I did watch that one. I watched Devil's Advocate and uh, The Tommy Knockers and Hollow Man. And the kind of John Carpenter here I've never seen called The Ward. Have you seen it? That's the John Carpenter movie. Yeah, is it any good? I've seen it, and the fucking, uh, I don't know, it's predictable, I'll say that. Okay, because I've like, got Pandora. It's his worst movie. It's his worst movie? I think so. Well, I might hold out. And my wife picked up Ed Gain, the one with Steve Rails back, and we've also got, I think, the one with Kate Hunter, too. Uh, the Kane Hodder one's so terrible. Hodder <laughs> was terrible. Yeah. What about Steve Earl's back version? Is it good? It's okay. It's kind of like Dahmer. We've already got it. I thought we had the Kane Hodder one. We have two versions of the Steve Earl's back version because we've got the three-pack in the steel book. It's uh, Ed Gain, oh, Gacy, wow. and Dahmer. Gacy is Mark Colton, and Gacy and uh, Dahmer yeah. is, uh, oh, shit, uh, Jeremy Renner. Yeah, it, it, it's probably the best one. I think the... The Dahmer one's the best one. The Gacy one, I don't know. They're just so wildly inaccurate, you know? Well, right, but he's very close to what Gacy looks like, though. They picked a good actor. They did get that right. They did, But, the, you know, they had him killing people, like, dressed as a clown. And I'm like, they didn't do that. No, that was his birthday party thing. He killed people in, like, you know, shirts and, like, you know, pants and flax and shit. Like, some leisure suit type shit. He wasn't. Exactly. Exactly. So but that's what I'm watching is a bunch of old stuff, basically. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, man. I like going back to the old stuff. Um, I'm looking forward to about a um, month and uh, a week or so from now, New Pet Cemetery coming out. I'm pretty excited about that. But even before that, that movie Us is coming out. Have you seen the previews for this? What's it called, Us? I haven't mm-hmm. seen the previews. Called Us. Hey, what about you, Vic? Yeah, see, I you had. Uh, yeah, this, yeah, this is the new Jordan Peele movie. Now, if you really pay attention, okay, so what it's about, Blake, is um, this, like, black family. Um, I say black just because it's just like, because it's Jordan Peele. Anyway, um, 
like they have these doppelgangers that are trying to take over their reality. They're trying to take over their life, and they're evil. It's like that. But the previews are scary as shit. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about both of those. By the way, speaking of Jordan Peele, you know i got to slip this in. New Twilight Zone comes on April 1st. I'm getting CBS access, just CBS All Access, just for that. And then once the uh, first season's over, I'm canceling. <laughs> so there's a new Twilight Zone coming out. That's correct. Yeah, Jordan Peele's doing it. I didn't see any of his movies. Did you just get out? He did get out. And get out it was awesome. I never saw opinion. Get Out. I watched the other one that came out about the same time. Don't breathe. That, that wasn't him, though, was it? No, but it was about the same time. Yeah, it was good also. I like both of them. Blake, when you get a chance, look up Twilight Zone trailer. When you get off here, look it up on YouTube so you can see the new trailer for the Twilight Zone. It's fucking sweet. I'll do that. I have to ask you guys a question because I know how you are when, when they deviate away from things. Uh, and you may or may not have read Pet Cemetery, um, the book. But, uh, I have. I, uh, you haven't? I have. I've read it. Oh, you have? Well, what, did you, uh, what is your thoughts? What are you, both of your thoughts on them changing it and making it? Because I'm sure you already know. They reveal a lot yeah. in the trailer. That it's not gay. Well, I think it's actually, I, I think it's not that bad because of the fact that um, I feel like when you do a, like a movie like this, that you, they're constantly comparing it to the one that came before it. So if you switch things up, then you don't have to worry as much about it just being a straight remake like they did with It. They've changed things in It also. So I'm cool with it, man. It could, it, it might just end up being, you know, different. And I'm okay with different. If you're going to do a remake, you might as well do it different. I don't want to see a shot, you know, a shot by shot remake. So do a little different. Okay. All right. I, I'm just, man. I tell you what. Like I'm pretty much um, open minded when it comes to horror movies until I've seen it. If I see it and I think it sucks, then I'll say it sucks. But I, I'm not going to try to be a traditionalist about things. Like I like The Shining, the Kubrick version better than I do the book. So. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not always stuck on source material. If you can do it better, then go ahead. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't have to be the same. There you go. I just I know some people, it's you know, a point of contention for them. Yes, sir. Well, that's all I got for this week, fellas. I got all sorts of things that are grinding my gears, but nothing worth mentioning. Um, we'll try to get back into the swing of our uh, top ten horror movies next month. I know it was a busy month for Vic and me both, and you too. Um, we'll, we'll get back into the swing of things. You know, I had my cruise and all that shit. That was fun. Um, but, you know, back to reality, and, and we'll try to get back in the swing of things a couple times next month for sure. And uh, pretty excited to talk about Heaven's Gate. Uh, I get to do all sorts of research on that because, yes, I remember it, but at the same time, I barely paid attention to it because I wasn't the twisted person that I am now. So, you know what I mean? I'd be all over it if it was now. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I think it'll be it'll be a good time, and uh, I'm actually looking forward to it, you know, because next month I don't have any, to my knowledge, I, I'm, I might be attending a convention, 
but I'm not looking for any next month, so I'm kind of getting a little bit of a buy. So, yeah. Uh, but then it, it gets into full swing, and then I'm gone and busy from August to, well, October with all these things. So I'm kind of looking forward to getting to get out there and move the band and stuff. And I wish you guys could be at the one in, you know, Bowling Green, but I know you have things to do. But if you change your mind and you happen to be in there, just stop by and say hi. I'll be there. Oh, believe me, it's not a change my mind thing. It's a uh, I'm getting drunk somewhere type type thing. But you know that is what it is. That's part of being married. So, and plus, I don't. I'm pretty sure my kids are going to be with me at this wedding. So I'm really going to have to like down some alcohol or something because it should be wild. <laughs> but anyway, fellas, I think that's all I've got for this week. Um, so we'll be back as soon as we possibly can, and. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. So let's hopefully you have a good rest of your February. You yeah, know, yeah. If you don't mind. Go ahead. Oh, I just want to say thank you for having me on. This was a really, really great show. This was a lot of fun to get to talk about something that we really couldn't get any real clear, concise decisions or answers on because there was just so much left unanswered, you know, with the whole situation. But it was a, it was a, it was a really cool, you know, show to be able to discuss something like this. And I want to say thank you for having me on again. And, Thank you for, you know, sharing everything you guys have been sharing about the books. I'm glad that you guys got a chance to start leafing through them and everything. I know Vic posted a picture of his and he was opening the book. I was like, yay for Vic. Look at that. Look at that, you know. <laughs> yeah, I read mine on the plane, too. So All right. Awesome. Well, I hope you guys are enjoying them. I hope they were, you know, everything I told you they were going to be and Mick told you they were going to be, so... Yeah, I definitely enjoy it. I'm enjoying, enjoying it. I didn't get to read the whole thing, but obviously I did get into it. Uh, definitely um, swing by if you're not busy October the 12th at a Zombie Fest in Oneida. It's just an hour north of Knoxville. There's going to be all kind of neat stuff there, man. It's, it's it's an awesome little convention. I just got booked on it a couple of days ago, so it's going to be great. There's going to be some, some people there. October the 12th. Yeah, October the 12th. It's a Saturday. It's only one day thing. It's from 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. There's going to be vendors. Amazingly, amazingly, I'm not in Florida, so that's a good thing. Because I am in October. In October, I am in Florida for a week. I got my two tickets to Halloween Horror Nights already. Oh, so. yeah. Well, you can do that. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean. But that's man, a week before, so we're good. It's going to be on 45 acres. This thing is a 45-acre They've rented out the entire city. Nice. Entire park. Fucking awesome, man. So it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, it's, it's authors. There's going to be actors, music, magicians. There's a bouncy house for your kids, laser tag, you know, for your, your, your kids. So you're young and old, you know, you can stick them in the bouncy house to come hang out with me and, you know, something. And, <laughs> But I like the way you said that. I got to say thank you to Zombie Fest, man. They contacted me and said, hey, we'd like to have you on as a guest. And I'm going to do a book signing there and bring all those nightmare props. And I got some new gloves coming that uh, our new builder I'm endorsing. He's doing a part four and a part five hero gloves. So I'll probably bring the part four and have it at the table. But it's Oneida Zombie Fest. If you haven't looked it up, guys, it's growing huge. Last year there were like 4,000 people that showed up to this thing. It's free admission. You know, and you just pay for, I guess, the stuff that happens in the food and all that stuff while you're there. But, man, it's a big deal in that town, in that city. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I see it now. Oneida, Tennessee, Zombie Fest, October 12th. 
to go ahead and like their page here. Absolutely. Okay. Great Mo Mullis is a good guy. He's a real gentleman. He contacted me. He's been nothing but awesome. And, and it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. And, man, there's so much to do there, so much. There's all kind of contests and stuff. And, you know, thanks for your kids. So it's literally going to be fun for all ages. I mean, you know, for everybody. But it's going to be a lot of fun. About three hours and 24 minutes? That's not bad. Not bad. Not a bad drive. Easy peasy. Not at all. Maybe we can get together and go have some dinner, some lunch or some dinner or something. Go hang out. That'll be fun. You know, bring the kids. Yes, my, my wife will be happy to stay with the kids and play with them. While I we can't go imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah, can't all right. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, we are uh, active on Instagram, at Drunken Horror, uh, at TV Drunken Horror on Twitter. I'm at a Phenomenal TLD, and I'm actually using it. Uh, our Facebook page is no longer banned, although it was never banned. It's like they turned down our algorithm. I'm back on Facebook. I'm no longer banned. I was banned for 30 days, Blake, <laughs> for nothing. You're always um, getting in trouble. It's because you make Facebook mad with your, you know, logic. That's what it I is. didn't even do anything. Um, Vic is at Vic Von Eric. Vic's never on Twitter, which is sad because I wish he would be. We'd probably just get in trouble on there too. I got banned the other day. Anyway, so um, Blake, throw out your uh, info so we can head on out of here. Alrighty, uh, Twitter. I am on there uh, a little bit more right with regularity. Hopefully, here soon. Uh, act like that's fourteen twenty eight because what better place is there to be? In fourteen twenty eight Elm Street, uh, you can find me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Blake Best Horror. That's my official author page. And, uh, I've got a website that's blakebestauthor.wixsite.com forward slash Blake Best Horror. You can get the books and convention appearances, all that good stuff. It's all there. I'm on Instagram Hell too, yeah. Blake Best Official. I am doing that a little bit more. So. Yay. Good deal. All right, man. All right. Well, we'll talk soon. I'll set us set us up a date for uh, top ten, and then obviously on March twenty sixth, we're going to do Marshall Applewhite. Uh, you know, Heaven's Gate. So that's it. Later on, fellas. Later on. Peace. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.